As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. G, 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 take me away. G, 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 take me today. Welcome to an episode of the Gary Hour. I'm your host, Gary Levitt. This week I talked to New York comedian Allison Klemp. I was nervous to have her on because she's been called a social justice warrior. And uh, I was just worried that I'd say the wrong thing by mistake. And uh, I think it went okay. I think it went actually very peacefully. Unless uh, she left and she's calling me names right now. But I don't think so. This episode is brought to you by Future Moments, makers of mobile apps for content creation. If you're a filmmaker, musician, podcaster, go to the App Store and search for Future Moments because they probably have an app that makes your life easier. Okay, I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you get something out of it. Thanks for coming here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, I guess I'll start with making myself a little vulnerable. Uh, I was a little nervous to have you as a guest <clears throat> because, um, you know, you're kind of a, a fighter, you know, and I was like, all right, I better be careful what I say. Um, not that I feel like I would say anything wrong, uh-huh. but I might, but my intention is always good. I want you to feel free to speak yeah. freely. Yeah. Thanks. That was redundant, but yeah, I'm not going to, I like you anyway. I'm not going to like jump over this microphone and attack you. <laughs> oh, well, good. All right. My, my, it's I'm all about dialogue anyway. Yeah. Well, you did tell me once that I was mansplaining something. I, that Was it online though? No. Or was it in person? It was in person. Also, we was I, I being serious or was I joking around? Um, Sometimes it's hard to tell because I can be very sarcastic. I think you were serious because it was the only time anyone's ever said that to me. And I was, it really made me think about what I was saying. I mean, I might've been serious and not, but like, I feel like sometimes people like, 
if I'm calling somebody out on something, it's not necessarily because I'm like, hey, fuck you for saying that. But mm-hmm. like, especially like, I like you and like, you know, I don't think you're an asshole and I don't think that oh, you shucks. do things like maliciously. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? But it's important for all of us to call each other out and to keep each other accountable because that's how we get better. You know, like if I was saying something that, you know, a black friend thought was like, hey, that's kind of racist. And like, I don't think that you're trying to be racist, but just so you know, it's like it's interpreted that way. You know what I mean? Like that makes me a better person. Mm. And that helps me like see the world from like a maybe a little bit different perspective and then like can help me like, you know, take things into account that I maybe wouldn't have before. So I think it's just really important for us to be able to be truthful and honest with each other about that stuff. Yeah, it's interesting to think. I mean, we're in, we're in such a, like a socially conscious time. Yeah. Well, it's also like it's hard because it's like there's so much like, and that, like I think a big part of like the problem that I'm hoping will fix itself somehow that it's like you can't be there's no room to be wrong anymore, and there's no room for nuance anymore, and there's so much of people just like oh he's trash he's dead like write him off forever because he said one thing wrong once and i think that that's really toxic yeah mostly on online yeah yeah i feel like the the dialogue online is so different than it would be in person yes it is there's so many arguments almost all the social art stuff right now has so much nuance to it that isn't really talked about Mm -hmm. it is tricky to navigate but for me, I always feel like my intention is good. Mm-hmm. I never really feel like I'm questioning my intention. So then when someone calls me out on something I might say, which rarely happens actually, then it really kind of makes me question my intention. And I know my intention's good. Mm-hmm. So it's strange. Also, to be totally fair, I may have been overreacting. To, I don't know what the situation was. Like I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. But like, I mean, and that's also a thing that I've had to start like, working on and like kind of checking myself with because it's like you know maybe it'll happen that you know that particular day I have just endured a lot of bullshit maybe from multiple people right and then I've like and now I'm like brimming right with yeah. like bullshit up to my eyeballs and then one person says something that like maybe isn't really that bad right but because I'm already like vibrating with rage it's just like bah you know and then a lot of those times I've like later I'm like oh I took that too far you know but yeah. so that's like a way that i need to get better i'm working on that i think but mm-hmm. time will tell <laughs> yeah well it's hard in new york there's a lot of stress and stimulus there's a lot of reasons to just get real angry just like right away yeah the tricky part is to try and not take it out on the wrong person mm-hmm. you know? exactly it's very easy there's so often on especially on the subway where i want to give someone a look if they're being rude or mm-hmm. not being conscious of their space but i don't know what they've been going through right maybe their mom died the earlier that day i don't know yeah maybe they have a physical ailment or who knows you know i mean odds are they're, they're a jerk but yeah fair yeah <laughs> sometimes yeah it's hard yeah it is we all need a little more country nature in our lives i think living here in the city yeah it is always good to like get out and mm-hmm. like but it's also sometimes so hard i was just in I went to California last weekend just to visit family. Mm-hmm. And I was like playing with my nephews who are like 
tiny and adorable and just hanging out at my brother's house in the suburbs and he just kept apologizing he was like oh i'm so sorry we're like not doing anything this is so boring i'm like you have no idea right this is glorious yes like you have multiple sitting rooms you know like you have a closet just for your towels i'm in heaven right now you know yeah living living here in in the city when i go to visit someone i don't want to do anything yeah i want to do nothing i'm like we can stretch out and like all be in a room and no one has to sit on the floor do you know how great this is i know it's it's yeah we live in a very unique place people don't realize when you don't live here that it is hard yeah you know it gets really stressful and everyone's overstimulated mm-hmm. and over aggravated and you're just like always on top of each other even in like other big cities so people usually drive right so you mm-hmm. have that bubble of your car yep. and this place that's just yours but we're just like out in the world bumping up against people mm-hmm. left and right and like every opportunity for conflict is there yeah and personal space mm-hmm. you don't even get i mean you're on the subway you just people are touching you all the time a lot and you when you get home sometimes you just want like four feet of space around you Mm -hmm. just to get that right plus like i ride a bike now in the city and it's like first of all like brings up so much road rage and it's just like you have to just like you hate everyone because you hate all the cars because they're all trying to kill you and you hate Mm -hmm. all the pedestrians because they're not looking and just walking out of the road and you're almost killing them so it's just like (laughs) and then you know now that's like toxic right because then you like it kind of like i realized it was like sort of creating this um subconscious idea that like everyone is against me right and then i would carry that around with me and i would just like have all this hostility and i just Mm. like was like defenses up like all the time right and i was like oh this is really toxic (laughs) like i have to work on this so that's like another thing yeah and it's tricky because when you then you end up getting that energy in return Right, you get what you give. Yeah, exactly. If I'm walking around really frustrated and angry, then all of a sudden I'm attracting <clears throat> angry people, mm-hmm. and then it just cycles. Right. Do you have any tools that you use to kind of deal with stress? Yeah, actually, I um, I am a Buddhist, mm-hmm. and I do a I do a chant I do chanting. So I chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Kill um, all the people around me? Yeah, it means everyone must die in Buddhism. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, no, it means it roughly translates to, I dedicate myself to the power of the mystic law, um, which is basically like the power of the universe. Um, is, is that a good power or a negative power? Yeah. So <laughs> we teach that, um, when you chant, you, um, open yourself up to your Buddha nature and to your like fullest potential, which is like a Zen like peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's all like in the, um, like in the struggle to attaining Buddhahood, right? Mm-hmm. Which, um, like, my particular sect of Buddhism teaches that uh, everybody has the potential to attain Buddhahood in this lifetime, where, like, previous uh, Buddhisms have taught that, like, you know, you have to go through many, many lifetimes in order to get there. Um, but this, like, this like, really puts, like, the emphasis on, like, making the most out of your life now. Like, may, how do you make the most out of every moment mm-hmm. in your life? And, you know... It's a journey. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I'm better at it than others, but it's all about just trying to make yourself better. That's interesting because with Buddhism, I usually think of not trying to make it better, but just trying to make it more peaceful and serene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like the ultimate goal is so it's to make yourself happy and then to make others happy around you mm-hmm. and the eventual ripple effect being world peace. So mm. it is like the ultimate thing, but it's also like, um, like there's a lot of emphasis on like putting your faith into your daily life 
versus like it's really easy you know to like be a monk and go sit on a mountain and just meditate and feel enlightened right but like you're not making the world a better place by doing that even though your energy is going out yeah but it's because you're isolated right right and you're not connecting with other people and you're not spreading it yeah and it's all about like because it's like kind of selfish in that way it's like yeah you're you feel good but like what are you really doing right so it's like how do you and i mean like the the Buddhism has helped a lot. <laughs> like I am definitely a much better, more uh, introspective person than I ever was before I started How long have you that. been practicing? Um, about like three and a half years. And you meditate every day? Um, yeah. You do? Every, um, supposed to do every morning and every evening, but mm-hmm. sometimes evenings are hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. I would imagine if you do it before sleeping, you get a better sleep. Yeah, that definitely does help. And like sometimes I'll do it just like, just like a very like short amount just to be like okay i'm gonna like do this and like direct my like um you know you always chant like towards something and make goals and determinations it's with like a, very with an intention yeah mm-hmm. and so it's you know sometimes it's just like don't oversleep tomorrow <laughs> like <laughs> don't oversleep tomorrow and get fired <laughs> you know right so it's like sometimes it's like very simple but mm-hmm. and then sometimes it's like a lot bigger yeah i've had a lot of buddhism in my life I, my dad was actually living in a buddhist monastery really on 100 and 12th i forget around 108th or 112th wow yeah he was studying to be ordained as a buddhist minister and as a kid i lived there with him for a while wow yeah. are you from the city uh from long island okay yeah that's so cool mm-hmm. yeah a lot of buddhism for a, a while in my life do you know what kind of buddhism it was zen, Japanese. zen buddhism? Yeah. okay very cool mm-hmm. but i've actually done you know about vipassana the 10 no. day silent meditation retreats no i did the, i did that and then I did a three-day. But it's basically, it's totally free. Okay. I'm going to sound like a commercial now. Yeah. But anyone can go. Um, they always fill up, but they're all over the world, and they feed you and house you. Oh. And it's just total silence for 10 days. Is that here or, like, elsewhere? Everywhere. Okay. They're, the closest one here is in Massachusetts. And you did a 10-day one? I did a 10-day, then I did a three-day. How old were you when you did these? Uh, when I did the 10 day, I think I was like 25. And then I did the three day about six months ago. Oh, wow. And the three day was actually, uh, I found it kind of frustrating. Because on the third day, I was so not zen. I was like, oh, I'm getting out tomorrow. I'm getting out tomorrow. I can't mm. wait to get out. And I couldn't get any deeper. Yeah. But with the 10 day, you just, you give up. Right. You know, you just, all right, I'm here for 10 days. Relinquish yourself to it. Yeah. And you just get deeper and deeper and deeper. It's so nice. I still say it's the only va- vacation I've ever taken. Interesting. Like where you actually vacate your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Yeah, I would recommend it to anybody. Yeah. It's pretty great. You know, people always say, I can't get away for 10 days, but you can. You can. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good you found some tools because we really need them living here. Yeah. It really is so necessary. I remember there was like some time like after I moved here, there was a New Yorker cover story that was like, do you live in New York because you're anxious or are you anxious because you live in New York? <laughs> what like, is, yeah, what is the answer to that? Um, I don't know. I didn't finish it, but <laughs> <laughs> I think they feed each other. Probably, yeah. yeah. So you gravitated towards Buddhism, but in reading up on you, you went to Catholic school in Las Vegas, yeah. which sounds like a total anomaly. Yeah, well, not if you remember that the mafia used to run Vegas back in the 50s. Oh, right. So, yeah, yeah. basically, like, this is not, like, the official story, but Mm -hmm. uh, basically the mob started my high school because there were all these Italian mobsters in the middle of the desert, and they wanted somewhere to send their kids. 
And it's Catholic school? Mm-hmm. It's the only Catholic high school in Las Vegas. So wait a minute. They're mafia, but they're Catholic? Italians, baby. Right. Yeah. Seems like the lifestyle would get in the way of the religion somehow. No, that's the beauty of Catholicism. As long as you go to church on Sunday and ask God for forgiveness, all's good. Right. And that's how the evangelicals support Trump, isn't it? Um, Not to get political. I mean, yes, but that is just like a complete looking the other way. Evangelical and Catholic are different. different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Catholic school in Las Vegas. And you moved around a lot, right? Moved around a lot. And I'm also not Catholic, for the record. Like, did not, not grow up with, like, religion. Okay. Like, did they teach it in the school? Yeah. I mean, like, I grew up, like, so I was born in Virginia, moved to Wisconsin when I was a baby, mm-hmm. moved to Memphis, Tennessee when I was, like, six or seven, and then moved to Vegas when I was 13. So, like, in Memphis, it's, like, everybody's Baptist. Uh-huh. Everybody's Southern Baptist. And then also... Uh, we lived right next to the Jewish neighborhood, which ironically is called Germantown. Um, <laughs> true. They, they can't leave. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, they're, Jews are big into remembering. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was like, there's actually a lot of Jewish kids in my school there. So mm. that was kind of, and everybody got along. It was great, you know. Um, so I had a lot of like that kind of, and like I was, when I was a teenager, I wanted to be Jewish so bad because I had so many Jewish friends. And yeah. like, it's right around 13, so everybody's having like their bar mitzvahs and their bat mitzvahs. And I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> like, right, but you have a sweet 16, right? Um, I didn't really have one. Okay. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, I didn't really have like, I had, like in like somewhat influence of just like religion being around me, but not in my family. Why were your parents moving around so much? My dad's job just kind of shifted. He, um, when I was born, he was working for Miller Beer. beer? Mm-hmm. And he was based in DC. He's like a lobbyist. And, uh, and then they moved him to Milwaukee to the headquarters. And then um, he got laid off because I knew president came in to the company and like laid off all the executives and then he started working for harris casino which at the time was headquartered in memphis mm-hmm. and then eventually this casino company looked at themselves and they were like hey we're a casino company and we're headquartered in a state where gambling is illegal right maybe we should move to las vegas so they moved brilliant the company, yeah <laughs> so they moved the company to Vegas. I was super pissed about it. Um, yeah, because you know, moving like, at 13. Moving at 13 sucks. And yep. like, nobody asked me. Mm-hmm. And my dad, like, my dad's, like, beat was, like, he worked, like, the Riverboat Casinos in the Midwest. Okay. So it was, like, he was, like, going to, like, St. Louis a lot. And, like, we lived in Memphis. It was, like, easy. He could, like, go up for a meeting, come home same day. It was, like, not a problem. But now we're moving across the country. And he's, like, still traveling to the Midwest. So it's, like shitty physics didn't make sense for my dad really and uh and definitely sucked for me because like i was doing very well in memphis i was like honor roll student i was in music i was a cheerleader i was popular like mm-hmm. i was on the homecoming court like <laughs> i was doing very well yeah you know i was like in gymnastics i was like you know uh and then we moved and i just like hated everybody and everything and i mean i still like did fine but yeah. it wasn't like you know it sucks being like the new kid at 13 it's like a rough it's age. a rough time, yeah, because yeah. everyone's kind of already established. Mm-hmm. Um, did you start to act out to your parents? <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, I was. A, I was. I was not fun. Uh, f- it was not fun for them. I can't imagine. I mean, I would like. I, when I was like fifteen, I took 
car out joyriding and like crashed it and nice. like crashed a few cars um, that did not belong to me. Um, Before you had a license. The, fit, the one before I had a license, and then, like, they made me wait, like, longer to get my license because of that. And then so you I, basically stole their car. Yeah, I mean, like, they had bought it. It was, like, an old car. They had bought it from, like, an old lady mm. for me when I did turn 16. It was, like, for me to learn on, and it would have been my car. Right. So in my mind, I was like, well, this is basically my car. Like, yeah. I can handle it. And then I was like, oh, I can't handle it. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> did you total it? Um. Yeah, because oh, it was man. like the amount of damage was like more than what they had paid for the car. Right, right. Because they had gotten like a really good deal on what, it. What did you hit? Another car. <laughs> oh, you smashed another car? Yeah. How long were you driving for it? Very short period of oh, time. No. <laughs> like, it's like your seven-minute joyride. <laughs> yeah, it basically. And um, just to make it perfect, there was like a police station like right in front of where I had done it. So I was didn't have like my like braking coordination wasn't like super down so yeah. i was braking and then i didn't break enough basically uh, yeah. yeah and every car's a little different with the brake yeah you know? and i was 15 and doing it alone <laughs> so <Yeah>. you know <laughs> nothing to compare it to a lot of factors you know yeah i was like this is different than the bumper cars so that when you moved from memphis then they put you in a catholic school in las vegas um, I was in eighth grade at a public school, mm-hmm. and then and I was a cheerleader there, and then I got suspended um, for fighting with another cheerleader. What, what was what were you fighting over? Um, she was talking shit, and I challenged her. Yeah, basically, but like she was like it was like you know we were like friends, and we've been like fighting for like two weeks, and like blah blah like Valerie blah, blah, blah like talking shit. Uh huh. Um, I don't even remember what about because who cares? And I just remember it was like. It was before English class one day. It was like before class had started. And she was like very loudly, like obviously talking shit about me. Mm-hmm. And so I walked over and I was like, Valerie, if you have something to say to me, say it to my face. Uh-huh. And then like she shoved me and then I shoved her back and then she shoved me like really hard and I fell backwards into a trash can that was behind me. And then that just like began a fight. And I was still very upset about this because I like specifically did not fight back because I did not want to get suspended and get kicked off cheerleading. That was, like, very important to me. Right, right. And so I was just, like, blocking her shots and just, like, trying to get her off of me to stop the fight. And then I got suspended anyway, because they were like, we have a zero-tolerance policy. And I'm like, but that's not fair. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. she just started fighting me. Like, what am I supposed to do? Not defend myself? Like, just let her hit me in the face? Just, like, let her scratch my face? Like, Mm -hmm. what? And and they were just like, oh, well, just because you were involved in the fight. And I was like, okay, so if I was, like, a 90-pound weakling and someone shoved me into a locker, would I get suspended? And they were like, no, that's different. And I'm like, that's not different. And I was just, that was like, I feel like that was, like, my first time i felt like an injustice had been done yes you know yeah against me and uh and i was just like but this isn't fair you know because because now you kind of call out a lot of injustices yeah yeah so that was your first uh, yeah <laughs> and maybe just maybe why i remember it so vividly right but yeah and then so and then also so that happened and then also i got a b in math class and my parents got very nervous about the trajectory i was on so they sent me to catholic school to like shake me up was it a lot more strict <sighs> i mean you weren't allowed to beat kids at this point right because i know for a while they were what do you mean catholic. oh beat kids yeah no yeah they had stopped hitting um i mean it wasn't like super strict it was a little bit like same shit different school because mm-hmm. 
um, it was a lot of a lot of kids that were wealthier than I was. Mm-hmm. You know, like we weren't poor. Mm-hmm. We were very middle class. You know, like we did well, but um, sweet casino money. Yeah. <laughs> Um, plus it was like during the real estate boom and my mom got like really into like flipping houses and stuff like that, you know, um, like we did fine, but Mm -hmm. like certainly like my, but like my parents both grew up like poor Mm -hmm. and like my mom is very savvy financially and like that did not pass down, but so she's she was always like very smart about you didn't get like, that gene. No, I, she she really tried. <laughs> Do you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, I have two brothers. Oh, okay, so they were with you along this whole journey. Yeah, so my older brother is six years older, and he graduated. He basically graduated high school right before we moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my little brother was like two years younger, so he was just like kind of like young enough that it wasn't like he did well in Vegas, and he still lives there actually. Um, you know, but so when you go back to visit your family, you yeah. go to Vegas. I go all over because um, we're all spread out. My, my mom and dad got divorced after high school, mm-hmm. um, and so my mom lost was, the marriage in a gamble. Yeah, <laughs> in a bad bet. <laughs> uh, the house always wins. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so my mom's in Colorado. My dad and my little brother are in Vegas, and then my older brother and like his family that he created are in San Francisco. I've only been to Vegas a couple times, but it seems like such a unique place to grow up. Yeah, it is and it isn't. I mean, like most of like the people who live there, it's like you're not really like on the strip that much unless mm-hmm. you work there, which I guess a lot of people do. Um, but it's just like very suburban. It's just like su- suburban sprawl, and in that way, it's like. I feel like very similar to a lot of places, but also there are slot machines in every gas station and every supermarket and like all of the movie theaters and the restaurants and like a lot of the stuff to do are attached to casinos. Yeah. You know, like, so you must see a lot of people addicted to gambling down and out kind of probably. I mean, like I was young enough. I think that I was sort of sheltered Mm -hmm. from that stuff. I feel like, like, if I lived there now, you know, I feel like I would be a lot more attuned to that because it would be people that I know going through that stuff. But, like, when you're like when you're 16, right. it's like, oh, there's all this cool stuff to do, but I can't do any of it, you know? Right, yeah. And it's always strange living in a place where the big industry is tourism. Yeah. It's so strange. I've been spending a lot of time in Times Square. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And it's just so bizarre to just see all these people walking around and this is what they think New York is. Right. I, but it's also like, it's funny because like I'm like used to that because that's like what it is in mm-hmm. Vegas, right? And it's, But there's so much more. There's so much more. Right. But it's also like you have to appreciate like, and then so after um, I spent some time living in Breckenridge, Colorado, which mm-hmm. is like where I really kind of consider my home to be. It's But like my family, like we had a second home out there for like a while. So had a lot of like family vacations out there like christmases and then like when i moved out there that was like the first place where i really felt like these are my people this is my home i feel yeah good here you I, know? Could, I could see your personality fitting in more with breckenridge than vegas that was kind sure. of like where i figured out who i was mm-hmm. and it was also like when i started doing stand-up so there's like a lot of like my life kind of converged at that point yeah that must have felt good <laughs> yeah it was nice and then i moved here and like fucking ruined all that but um i was like i'm happy i should leave uh but like that's also like it's a ski town and it's like so it's a resort and it's like very dependent on tourism yeah. and so like just so much of my life has been 
in places where it's like we need the tour and like new york is like so many industries and so many mm -hmm. things and it's not just the tourism but yeah. obviously it's a huge thing and definitely times square is just like like the furnace where it's all birthed you know yeah it's intense and like but it's just like you have to appreciate them even though it's just like the worst sometimes yeah. you know and then i try to think about like i like really force myself to think about okay remember the first time you came to new york and like how amazing it all seemed and like you probably like were doing all of these things that piss you off now you know right see it's weird because i grew up around the city mm -hmm. like i was coming into the city as a kid and then when i left the city everything every other city that i've been to in the states is just less yeah and in a way that's good but mostly i think it's bad yeah I feel kind of bad for, and at least you were like on Long Island, so you had like some semblance of like normalcy. No, no, Nor <laughs> Long Island is not nor it's not. There's so much. Well, in the sense that you have like yards and stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> I guess but talk about dysfunctional people. Oh yeah, the, everyone, everyone. It's a lot of bickering. There's a lot of racism, classism, mm -hmm. and there's nothing for kids to do there. Mm. You, that's where you would literally hang out in a, a diner. Right. Or, or a mall. Malls, yeah. Yeah, a lot of towns on the island don't even have sidewalks. It's such a driving place. Mm, I don't know that. Yeah, it's strange. Strange place to be. Yeah, yeah, that must be hard to be a kid. And that's also probably, honestly, why the opiate problem is so bad there, right? Yeah. It's just like, when it's like those kinds of things always are the worst in mm -hmm. places where there's nothing to do. Yeah, when there's lack of hope. Right. Yeah. And people just get bored. Mm -hmm. And then you start doing that. Which is strange, because it's really just a train ride away from new york city yeah you know for most of long island you can easily be in new york city and have a totally different life right but most of them a lot of them don't that's crazy but yeah like if you're growing up with new york or like if you like kids who grow up like in manhattan like mm -hmm. can you imagine you know and it's just like yeah like what else could stimulate you mm -hmm. if that's like your base level yeah you, you know? probably turn 10 and you're like yeah i've been there and seen it all right <laughs> jaded yeah <laughs> they're like 10 year olds are just like smoking and they're just like whatever i used to i babysit this kid sometimes and um when i started babysitting him he was probably like seven and he was just like but he, he lives in like chelsea but he's like the most nihilistic kid i had ever met uh -huh. and like like he'd be like playing with something and like it wouldn't go right or you know whatever and he'd just be like oh forget it it doesn't matter nothing matters <laughs> And I was like, what? You're seven. <laughs> like, wow. I mean, that's true, but you shouldn't know that yet. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's reading Camus. And I'm like, you're ahead of your time. <laughs> he's reading like Christopher Hitchens. <laughs> he's an existentialist nihilist. <laughs> yeah, I think New York City can actually birth a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. So what brought you, so you're in Breckenridge, mm -hmm. and what you started stand-up there. Mm -hmm. What brought you to New York City? Was it to pursue stand-up as a career? Because I imagine... Not much is going on in Breckenridge as far as, like, industry. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would be, like, going down to Denver and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's, like, an hour from Denver. But um, I was always, like, driven towards New York. That was always the goal. Because I used to do theater. I was uh, went to college for theater. Uh -huh. And um, that was the original dream. And the first, I came to New York for the first time when I was, like, 12 and was just, like, in awe of everything and and like loved any tv show that took place in new york mm -hmm. any movie that took place in new york and i would always like 
I remember like the movie Keeping the Faith with Ben Stiller mm-hmm. was like um, I watched that all the time and just like like the stuff with just on like walking around the city and I was just like yes that's gonna be like me you know like whatever and um, uh, I would like jaywalk and be like I'm practicing for New York. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, the yeah. freedom we have. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> we can uh, jaywalk. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I was always, like, wanting to come here. And then um, the dream kind of shifted from theater. Yeah. I mean, I still do acting things, like, when I can. And, yeah. you know, that's still part of the dream. But... So you were attracted to New York for theater and just the culture mm-hmm. and all the activity. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then once stand-up kind of, like, honed in as, like, oh, no, this is the thing I really want to pursue. It was, like, okay, New York. And then I came out here for a month to sort of, like, test around the city. And it was incredible. Also, I had just gone through, like, my first real breakup. So it was, like, where better to rebound yes. than New York City? And I just, like, and it was just, like, oh, you can just get drunk until sunrise. And I was just, like, making out with some dude every night and just, mm-hmm. like, you know, getting lost in Brooklyn. And, like, you know, and this was, like, before smartphones, too. So I was, like, I was, like, I remember I fell asleep on the train drunk. And then I got off the train. I'm just, like, crashing with a friend. So, like, I don't really know where the fuck I am. Right. And you and have I, a map in your pocket. Yeah, I don't have a map in my pocket. I don't have anything. And I'm just, like, drunk. And it's, like, people are going to work. It's the morning. And I'm just, mm-hmm. like, like, I had come to and just, like, on the sidewalk somewhere in Brooklyn. And uh, and I was just, like, I don't know any. And I just had to walk, and, like, no one's awake. Like, no one I know is awake. Yeah. Because it was, like, 7 a.m. in New York, so no one I know is up. And then it's, like, 4 a.m. on the West Coast. Like, everyone's already asleep. Were you scared? Uh, I was terrified, yeah. Because yeah. I was just, like, so lost. And um, didn't know what kind of neighborhood I was in. I was somewhere deep in Brooklyn. How old were you at the time? I was, like, 24, no, like, twenty. Three probably. Yeah, I try to put myself in the shoes of people that have never, that didn't grow up in New York, mm-hmm. and just like visiting it when it's totally all new. Mm-hmm. It just kind of blows my mind a little bit how overwhelming it probably feels. Yeah, and I just like I just walked until I found a train, mm-hmm. and then any train, any train. <laughs> I think it was an M train, and uh, and then and it's 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 diverted on a different track because right. they're doing service. And then I just like took it until I got to Manhattan, yeah. and then I was able to figure out how to get back to my original spot. Nice. Um. So, yeah, that was like horror. That was like terrifying, but like in like a fun kind of way, you know, mm-hmm. and like an exhilarating. I'm so alive kind of way. When you're looking back on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was still like a crazy story that would like never happen anywhere else. Right. right and like yeah. I didn't die. So it's a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And so I did that and I loved it. And then I was like, okay, definitely in New York. And then, um, like before I moved here, I sort of got this little like bug in my ear that was kind of like, but maybe you should try LA. Like maybe you should give mm-hmm. LA a shot, you know, do a test run there just to make sure. Mm-hmm. Also, like there was like a guy who was kind of like, like this guy that I had seen on and off again throughout college, who's an actor and like a working actor. And he started like getting into my head that like I should go out there because he's like, you look so young and Hollywood is obsessed with youth. Like you mm-hmm. could do really well here. And I was like, yeah, but I'm like Hollywood obese. So like, I don't want to deal with that. You know? Right, right. And, and I'm like, I feel like in New York, I can just like eat bread and still get work and, you know, <laughs> like that's just walk it off. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, and they're like less obsessed with like being fit and, mm-hmm. Um, whatever. So this is very. Uh, it sounds like a very responsible, methodical way to 
decide your future. Oh, You're, thank you. Yeah. I thought so. So I, I signed up for a UCB sketch writing class in LA and mm-hmm. I went to go and I was going to crash with a friend for a couple months out there and like take the class and like work at a restaurant and just see how it went. Do the full experience. Yeah, just, just try it out. Um, Restaurant job and all. Sure. <laughs> um, so then I got uh, I got a DUI total my car two weeks in. Nice. And then that Very kind LA. of yeah, and then that kind of became <laughs> mm-hmm. the center focus of the experience. So it's sort of and I was like, okay, universe, I hear you. <laughs> I should move to New York. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think you made the right decision. Yeah. And like in retrospect, um, I wish that I had just come to New York mm-hmm. and then I could have like sold my car and had like a good chunk of change when I moved here yes. <laughs> instead of just like destroying it and also parts of my life in the process. Yeah. But you know, I learned a lot about myself and I became a better person through the process. So Was it a culture shock? Going to LA or going yeah. to New York? Going to LA or coming to New York from LA. Um, not really. I mean, my dad is born and raised in LA and like his whole side of the family is out there. So I've, I've spent a lot of time mm-hmm. out there visiting with family and stuff. Um, LA, I guess from moving around a lot, you're probably able to adjust more than most people. Yeah. I also, that's also true. I feel like I can kind of adapt to most places. It's just like, like there wasn't a culture shock. In LA was just like very annoying. And for me, it's like, I feel like LA is a great place to visit, yeah. but I don't really want to live there. Yeah. I, I also feel like I probably will end up living there at some point when I'm older. Like if I got a job out there, I would go in a heartbeat, yeah. obviously. But I feel like, it, like for me, like California is probably going to be more like a settling down mm-hmm. place. And it's like, I'm young ish, but like at the time it was like, I'm young, I have energy. I should be in New York. Like that's yeah. where, yeah. Yeah, LA's changed a lot with Uber now. Yeah, this was all pre-Uber. And yeah. like, if I had Uber, if I had, had, had first of all, if what had happened had happened, I probably wouldn't have felt like I needed to drive my car. Right, yeah. And also, I, if I could have just Ubered around <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of having to take the bus <laughs> for like Oof, two hours at a time. Yes. <laughs> like, oh man, my life would have been so different. But yeah. yeah. I lived in LA for a little while too. Yeah, about, how was that? About four years and I didn't have a car at first. <sighs> you cannot live no, there without a car. It's so hard. Yeah, and I lived there in my 20s and it's just not a place when you're that young, I don't think. Yeah. It's hard to go out because of the driving thing. Yeah, the driving thing. And like, I guess now it must be so different with Mm -hmm. Uber. Because like back then it was like, cabs were also not really an option. Yeah, you you would call one. I think it took like 45 minutes for them to show up. Yeah, and like one time I was out at a bar and it was like, I felt like not that long of a distance really but yeah. like so i was like doing the responsible thing i was like i'm going out drinking i'm gonna get a cab home this was before i crashed my car and um the the cab was like 45 dollars. yeah exactly and i was just like that's more than i just spent at this bar <laughs> hey you're a light drinker <laughs> <laughs> yeah uber's now it's pretty cheap people yeah. are, uber pools people are getting around for three mm-hmm. it's so it's so much better now when i go to visit friends there because we'll go out and just, you know, you take an Uber pool. No one, you're not looking around for parking for 20 minutes. Right. No one's worried about driving. Yeah. Drunk. <laughs> yeah. So you came to New York. You're pursuing stand-up. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're like, mm-hmm. forget L.A. Yeah. I can't be there. Yeah. I trashed my car. I trashed my car. I mean, I had some, like, I don't know. It was also Did you like, know anybody here in New York? Um, yeah. Well, I had a boyfriend at the time. And I had, like, a few people that I knew, like, from college and stuff who were living out here. 
But um, yeah, I had I broke up with my boyfriend when I went to LA because we were separating, and then kind of started dating the guy from college again, and that was like very disastrous. Um, and then got back together with the other boyfriend, mm-hmm. and then decided I was going to move to New York, and then he got into grad school at Columbia. So then I was like, we're faded. <laughs> So we moved out here like separately but together. Yeah. And we actually end, uh, ended up kind of by chance of fate, ended up living across the street from each other. Wow. Which was very convenient. Mm-hmm. And then when we broke up, was very stressful. <laughs> yeah. We used to see each other all the time. Um, yeah. Although I actually didn't run into him that often, which was good. I think our schedules were pretty opposite, but mm-hmm. I was scared of running into him all yeah. the time. <laughs> but it's good to move here knowing somebody at least. Yes. It was good. I mean, it was, it's weird because like it was good, but at the same time, like, I feel like it held me back. Like, it definitely held me back from stand-up. I didn't... So we broke up about six months into me living here. Mm -hmm. And for those first six months, like, I wasn't really doing it. Mm -hmm. And, like, I would go do an open mic, and I would go up, you know, fourth from the end, and no one would be in the room, and it would be terrible. Sounds like an open mic. Yeah. But it was, like... It was so different. Like, doing stand-up in Colorado was, like, so different. And it was, like, so much nicer and easier and people are more supportive and people nurturing. Are more, yes, people are more supportive. And like I had never really bombed. Yeah. Um and like, you know, like got like good feedback like kind of from the beginning. And um you know, felt like was feeling very good about myself, but I also knew I'm like, oh god, I am going to start bombing though and like and I like I was like very eager to bomb at first because I was like the longer it takes to bomb, the harder it's going to be when it happens right. and I'm like I just like rip this band-aid off, you yep, know, cuz yep. I was like I know that I'm not God's gift to stand up. Like I know that I'm going to bomb. Everybody bombs. Everybody bombs yeah. like fucking Dave Chappelle bombs. Like I'm like everybody bombs. Even with material that kills. Yeah. It's it, very bizarre. It's yeah, like David Tell has bombed like yeah. everybody's bombed. So, um, yeah, I was like, and then it happened and then it was just like, so, and I was just like, uh, and I didn't like, because I had the safety net of this boyfriend that mm-hmm. I could like run back to and be like, that was scary and people were mean and, you know, and then I would like kind of like go back to my bunker and then like, it would take me like a few weeks before I would go out again. So I wasn't like mm-hmm. really, but I feel like I like look at people, um, now who are like new or whatever and it's like if you don't have any of that like you kind of just dive in because that's also like how you meet people and how right. you start making friends and building a social network and I, just, I was like very like kind of delayed on all that and then I started so I started doing more stand up when we broke up and then very quickly after that started seeing another stand up comic mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then became very absorbed in that yeah and then it was like, but then my whole social environment was like also his social environment. So when we stopped seeing each other, I had to like start all over again. And it was like very hard. <laughs> so, yeah. Did it make you want to get away from the whole scene? Mm, kind of just from like his corner of the scene. But it did, um, it did make me realize that I was like, I need to not be in a relationship <laughs> because I was just like, clearly I am not like mature enough to be able to do this in a healthy way. And right. like, and I was like, every time I'm in a relationship, I was just like giving myself over so much to the other person right? that I was like not taking care of myself in any way. Yeah. That's, and, that's the trick with a relationship. Yeah. So then I became like very selfish for a couple of years and like really just like focused on myself. And now I'm in a relationship again. And What's, I think I found a balance. Yeah. It's tricky. It's always a struggle for me. Like, when you're with someone, you kind of rely on them for the nurturing. Mm-hmm. And then if they 
go away, mm-hmm. you don't know how to give it to yourself. Right. And then when you're single, you have to, you learn to give yourself to self-nurturing. Mm-hmm. It's tricky. But then if you're with the right person or if you're very self-aware, I'm like, okay, I have to remember who I am in the relationship. Mm-hmm. It's so tricky. Yeah. It's, it's a constant balancing beam. Yeah, it is a constant balance for sure. Yeah, it's tricky. I remember I was in a long relationship and when I got out of it, I was I was in that relationship. I was like, what's the point of going to a museum? I have no one to share it with. Mm. Like that kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I know. You you do it for yourself. I'm, right. You know, and I learned to basically be my own person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tricky. To date yourself. Date myself. Yes, yeah. exactly. I also feel like that kind of comes with age a lot of the time because I feel like when I was younger I used to think that like the idea of eating alone or going to a movie alone mm. were just like the most depressing ideas and now I love it you yeah know? well I also think having a uh, you know a smartphone changes everything too because you could be alone but then you're communicating with a million people yeah I'm but, trying to limit that also are you yeah yeah that's I feel that's like good. it's unhealthy it definitely is. I'm trying to like read more physical books and mm-hmm. like do stuff like that. It's kind of like, you know, keep myself a little more grounded. Yeah. When I'm home, I'm trying to keep the phone in, mm-hmm. in the bedroom. So I'm just not on it. Mm-hmm. I love the do not disturb function is like my favorite thing on the phone. Mm-hmm. It's like if I, I get so distracted so easily. So like if I, if it buzzes, I'm going to look at it. Yeah. You know? And that that, go, that ties in with Buddhism because there's the thing in Buddhism of like living in a state of reaction. Mm-hmm. Like we're constantly living in a state. Of, I forget. I'm going to mess up how, how they wrote it. But sure. constantly living in a state of reaction. Mm-hmm. And it, it leads to misery is their mm-hmm. words. Mm-hmm. So with meditation, you're taking a state of action. You, you know, you're trying to meditate and then all these thoughts are popping into your head. Mm-hmm. And what you do, and at least in Vipassana, is... You don't react to them. You observe them. Mm-hmm. So then you're taking control and you're living in a state of action and mm-hmm. not reaction. So you, you know, I might be in a meditation that I'm like, Madonna, Tom Cruise, <laughs> like mm-hmm. stupid random stuff pops up. And instead of, uh, oh, yeah, when is Tom Cruise's birthday? Instead of like going right. there for this, no reason at all. I do want like, to see that Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, oh, I just thought, of, okay. that, And then you don't even quantify it or give it a, judgment or evaluation you just go oh i just thought of tom cruise okay back to the meditation Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of a metaphor for the smartphone i think because it's all the notifications and yeah Yeah. i downloaded this app called forest Mm -hmm. that's like a productivity app so um it's like you plant a tree and the tree grows like but if you open your phone and like do anything the tree will die (laughs) so it's like you set a timer right Uh so you can you can change it with the time so you can say like 30 minutes right so it's like basically you're saying like 30 minutes i'm not gonna play with my phone you're gonna grow your tree i'm gonna grow my tree and then like when the tree grows you get like coins or whatever and then when you get a certain amount of coins then you can like um plant a real tree Uh and like they'll plant like a real tree um for like however many trees that you buy oh wow with your productivity mm-hmm. um so it's like a good thing i haven't gotten enough productivity points to like plant a tree yet but i am working on it <laughs> my trees keep dying or you keep killing trees <laughs> keep killing these trees and i'm like oh god i'm a monster um but yeah that's been helpful mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so. we're sponsored by forest yeah the app. <laughs> so download forest or any similar apps Wow, that's just like like I have to like force myself not to do it. But yeah, like that like stuff you're talking about not being reactionary is mm-hmm. like 
like a goal of mine, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I feel like I've been um, working on this in my social media life where it's mm-hmm. just like, hey, I don't have to respond to everything, you know? And it's like, hey, that person, I feel like they're wrong about this, but right. I don't have to tell them that I think that they're wrong and I definitely don't have to try to convince them that right. I'm right, you know? And kind of like, I've sort of been starting there, which is like definitely the most toxic area of my life and just kind of like trying to like pull back. Yeah. And just be like, it just observing like you, you put your cursor in the comment field and you start typing you're like mm-hmm. nope not gonna do it nope, just <laughs> delete and scroll yeah unfollow so that kind of probably pulls in your buddhist practice a little bit like, yeah okay you start chanting while you're on facebook <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i do have a rule i've like made a personal rule that um, I try not to listen uh, or read any news before I chant. Oh, that's good. Because yeah. it just like puts me in such a negative headspace. And then I get so like, ah, and then I just go down rabbit holes of human misery, mm-hmm. you know. And then it's like, and then I'm like, oh, no, I just have to leave. And, and then I leave with all this terrible energy. And that's how I start my day. And it's not good. Right. Well, what, what propels you? I mean, you have a, a, a lot of passion, mm-hmm. right? So like social uh issues or political issues what are the things that you feel really passionate about um well as you know i'm a libtard mm-hmm. so that's how i identify <laughs> um but yeah i mean i guess like yeah socially and politically i mean my it's like my biggest thing is like rape i'm like really into it um <laughs> pro or against pro <laughs> uh. <laughs> um no i'm anti-rape um hot take hot take hot take alert watch out i don't like it um i think it's bad and um you should stop doing it gary (laughs) (laughs) we need to talk about this no um but just like i don't know like a lot of like women's issues Mm um you know i'm a little typical sjw um, just don't have a blog. I can't have my title really because I don't have a blog. SJW Social Justice Social Warrior. Social Justice Warrior, yeah. yeah. Um, Is but, it tricky to find the balance between comedy and social justice warrioring? No, I mean, it's just like, I don't really like think, I mean, I was, I don't really identify as an SJW, but that is what people call me. Uh-huh. Um, I've always like been very outspoken. And that form has kind of like I was in high school when nine eleven happened, mm-hmm. and I was in high school when the Iraq War started. But it wasn't your fault. I know, <laughs> but like that was like kind of when I started like having all these very strong feelings about like what's happening is not right, yeah. you know. And I started like I started writing satire articles in my school newspaper and that was like sort of how I started expressing myself mm-hmm. through comedy. And so I sort of like started developing a comedic voice through like my political beliefs and my like beliefs about social issues. So um, I feel like they're just sort of intertwined in a way that, you know, mm-hmm. um, kind of can't be undone because it is like just sort of a big part of like who I am and how I view the world, which is also like how you view the world comes out through your comedy. Right. So um, I do like, I am trying to like make more of an effort to not um, have like my whole set be just like about my vagina, you know. <laughs> but like, write what you know. So yeah, you know, like between a rock and a hard puss. Um, 
But like what? So you know, there's that thing in comedy, um, tragedy plus time. Mm-hmm. You like you need the time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people say if you're too emotional about an issue, it's hard to write the jokes about it. Mm-hmm. And I notice that with myself if I read the news and I try to think of funny tweets to write. Right. If I feel passionate about it, I just end up writing something that's got no funny to it. Mm-hmm. It's just a statement. Yeah. And then if I feel less passionate about it, I'm able to make a joke about it. Mm-hmm. And it's just an interesting thing. And that's why I asked if it's hard to balance that mm. passion for social justice with comedy. Yeah. Um, it definitely makes it trickier, like what you're talking about. I mm-hmm. identify with like a lot. And um, part of it is also just like, you know, learning how to temper my emotions about things and like kind of like almost like, I guess, compartmentalizing a bit in a way. Mm-hmm. And like I sometimes I think something like a news story will make me very upset. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I think, OK, but like one of your ambitions is to be like a late night writer. And if you were a late night writer, you would have to write jokes about this right. like right now. And you can't like, oh, I just I, like I'm having such a hard day because of like what Trump did. Like I can't, you can't. Right. You know, you just have to write the joke. Yep. And so you have to be able to like kind of not react emotionally kind of like, kind of not care that much yeah <laughs> which is the odd thing i mean but it's like i feel like it's just like how to like redirect so like um like in buddhism we talk a lot about like turning poison into medicine mm. um and like uh sort of like taking on challenges and a negative obstacles like with like a vigorous joy and like knowing that you'll be able to like turn it around so i'm kind of trying to apply that perspective to like that makes a lot of sense. Horrible things that are going on. I mean, yeah. like, literally, this is what we try to do with comedy, right? Is like we're trying to take these horrible things that happen in the world yeah. and like turn them on their face and make people laugh about it. Because if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. Right. And that is very true in this day and age, right? So it's just like, just like, it's just like trying to redirect that yeah. angry energy. And then I'd be like, okay, but how can we make it funny? So that's the challenge. Yeah. And that kind of, ties into the vipassana method that i learned if not reacting but just observing Mm -hmm. so if you if you observe the news and don't react to it Mm -hmm. then you can take action and make a funny joke exactly it all ties together yeah it's beautiful we're getting a theme to this episode yeah we're gonna get zen as fuck (laughs) (laughs) we're solving our own problems if not the world's yeah so uh how long you been in new york city for um how much has it worn you down (laughs) (laughs) Uh, this October will be seven years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you think uh, here to stay for a while? For the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've just been practicing Buddhism for three years, you said? Yeah. Okay, so that's probably good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a breaking point. <laughs> and you're, you're, you're dating uh, another comedian. Yes. Um, how is that? Because I imagine that would be difficult in a few different ways of like trying to top each other's jokes or not even being funny because as a comedian it's hard to laugh right um it definitely i i mean i've dated comedians before and have slept with many um and it definitely can have like all those challenges and also like a lot of other challenges of like ego and stuff like that ego Um, of like career stuff mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, right you're always kind of in competition maybe yeah, that can be the case. Um, but uh, my current boyfriend is like very not like a typical male comic in those ways. Like we have never had jealousy issues with like career stuff. 
um there's like not ego there he we're both like big fans of each other's comedy Mm -hmm. and he is extremely supportive of me and that is i think just very crucial you know i mean in any partner right right? like you want to you want to have someone who um you know wants you to be doing your best and like living your full for you even if it goes against what like like, you mentioned your boyfriend that was going to Columbia Mm -hmm. when you bombed Mm -hmm. he should have said to you you need to go back up tomorrow right but he also I mean he didn't know right you know he didn't have those he doesn't and it's like it is really nice to be able to be with someone who like just gets it you know Mm -hmm. and you can like like if you have a bad set like they know what that means and they know what that feels like and they know not to like push you in the wrong direction or mm-hmm. you know um yeah and so it's really beneficial in those in that sense and i mean in in my particular instance like it works amazingly but it just depends on like who the person is yeah you know and it can, i feel like it can be great and there's like a bunch of comedy couples that i think are doing pretty well so mm-hmm. like in if you both are like being supportive of each other it, it can be magic but if you're not then you know yeah it could be a constant gnawing mm-hmm. where you get no break. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That would be tricky. Um, I'm kind of like amazed that you can pull that off. Oh, thank you. It's yeah. also nice because it's like um, we can kind of like talk to each other about our jokes, you mm-hmm. know, and like get like pretty honest feedback from each other, you know. When you say he's not a typical male comic, what do you mean by that? Oh, I just mean like in like romantic experiences that I've had in the past with okay. male comics, like mostly the ego issue being competitive Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. which is like i would say the the biggest problem or you know just like um typical fuckboy shit Uh you know but he's you know he's a good boy so (laughs) (laughs) he's a good boy yeah (laughs) he's very sweet you know and you like his comedy yes do you think you could date someone where you like them as a person but you didn't like their comedy never Right? Absolutely never. I was, um, I dated this actor um, very briefly and um, we were like in a show together. This was here. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Okay, so he was, this is not part of what I was originally going to talk about, but it's funny, so I'm going to tell you. So he was bisexual, which is fine, but like, um, like we were like hooking up the first time and then he like, we were very drunk and he told me he was bi and I was like, oh, and I like never hooked up with a bi dude before. So I was like, okay. And I was just kind of have this like inner monologue of myself of like, you're very sex positive. The male bisexual identity is real. Like you've never encountered it before, but here it's in front of you. And like, now you have to like walk the walk. You've been talking the talk. Like, okay. Right. You know? And I was just like, but it was like a little bit like, okay. Like, you know, you're, you're prepping yourself, yeah. pumping yourself up. And, uh, but I was like, what does this mean? Like, is he going to like want me to, and I was like, trying to make like joking around and i was like oh like so you'd like to get pegged you know uh-huh. and he was like actually yeah, i have a i have a strap on at home <laughs> and i was like oh okay okay and i was like i don't know if i'm ready for that like i've never done that before and i was like ah. and and then i like talked to one of my gay friends about it and he was like you should just do it and i was like you're right i should uh-huh. so i was like what if, he was like what if you love it and i'm like oh my god what if i love it uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh my god it would be really really cool to penetrate a man <laughs> and i was like oh my god I, and i was like yeah so then like by the time I got like prepared mentally enough to like do that, I was yeah. like so annoyed with like him as a person mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, I don't want to like I want to do it, but like not to you, uh-huh. you know. And it was like he, he, so he's an actor and he's like 
you know, we'd like do like little sketches and stuff. And he wanted to show me like a sketch that he had made like with his roommates. And he was like really, really proud of it. And he showed it to me and it was, I don't even like, I couldn't even understand like most of it. You know what I mean? It was just like, this isn't, it's like less that it's not funny and more that it just like doesn't even make sense like at all. Right. And I was just like, Oh no. (laughs) You know? And then he's like, what did you think? And I was like, uh, I think we should see other people. (laughs) (laughs) Not only do I not like your sketch. (laughs) Yeah. And then he like, he would like come to my comedy shows and I was just like, please don't do this. Like, you know? And like, he came to like an all female show, and it was just like really weird. And I was just, like, we were not like that serious. And then he was started being like, oh, yeah. I was like, I think I should try stand up. And I'm like, please don't. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I can't. Wait, when he told you he was bi you, and you said you needed, to, you were like giving yourself pep talks. Uh-huh. Why? Because did it make you feel less attracted to him? No, I just like, I didn't know. I had never, um, to my knowledge, hooked up with a bi guy before. Oh, so it was like all of a sudden you have much more competition. <laughs> so that, but I was also like, I just didn't know. Like, if he was going to be wanting, expecting me to do something that I had never done before or, like, whatever, you know. And I was right. just, like, and I was a little bit, like, um, I don't know. It was just, like, like it doesn't really matter. Uh-huh. But I was, like, I mean, I was also a lot younger. And it was just, like, you know, the first time you experience something different. And then yeah. it was the same. And then it was, like, oh, <laughs> like, the bisexuality was, like, not even ever an issue i was like it was a bigger issue that you were 27 years old and your mom pays your rent and i was like that was, <laughs> there were like a lot of like uh boner killer right. moments and i was just like uh you don't pay your own rent uh you don't work because of your anxiety oh and um, you're writing bad sketches yeah, and you're writing and and you're not funny on top of all of that right, like right. if you were like really funny like that could make up for like your mom pays your rent maybe right. you know what i mean like at least there's hope right exactly but it's like oh man where is this going <laughs> like yeah I guess yeah that's a big if he tells you he's bisexual all of a sudden there's like oh I might can I even satisfy him Mm -hmm. yeah right it's like do I have the you know and also like yeah like yeah now I have to like compete with dudes also like you know it's just like so but I've always like I feel like that's like a thing at least with like women there's like this like fear of that like you know a guy that you'll be dating will turn out to be gay you know Mm -hmm. like um and and if, obviously this is like not real or true, but like the I think the thinking there is oh he turned him gay you know ah uh-huh, right. But I've always felt like I'm like I would so much rather my boyfriend like if my boyfriend cheated on me with a guy yeah like I was if he was gonna cheat on me I would rather him cheat on me with a guy than with a girl right because it's like oh well if you are gay and you've been hiding that and that's who you are right then I will never satisfy you and we will never be able to like really be together. Right, so it's like that's interesting because I go feel live like, your truth, right? But it's like if you just like want another woman, then it's like I failed as a woman, you know? Right. That's that's traditionally men's take. Mm-hmm. Men are like, oh, I, if my girlfriend wants to be with another girl, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's not intimidating. But I feel like with women, a lot of times it's they become unattracted to the male because then then the male is de demasc it's he's mm. emasculated, right? If he becomes, if he's attracted to men. Right. Which is why it's hard for male bisexuals. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's that stigma. There is that stigma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's different for some reason. Yeah. And I don't even know if it's societal or primal. I feel like we have, I don't know, but I feel like we have such a um, toxic 
like male identity issue in this mm-hmm. country especially i guess like all over really but like the, the idea of like what it means to be a man mm-hmm. you know is so singular in a lot of ways um which is what like provider you know, n- like strong yeah like don't cry like all this stuff yeah i was actually when i was um with my brother this last weekend um he like his one of his sons is five and he's like very emotional right now it's just like little uh, snowflake he yeah he gets like really upset by like little things he's, <laughs> he's like, five he's five he's like learning what emotions are right right so it's like he's just being very pouty and then he was crying about something that was like his brother was playing with his toy or something right and he's right. just like bawling and my brother's like talking to him and like trying to like calm him down and he told him stop being a little bitch he's yes and i was like good that is the clump way no but a man he said he said this and i really enjoyed it he said it's okay to cry about things that matter he's like but this is a little thing and you don't need to cry about this oh wow and i was just like i really like that he said that you know yeah and i was like good okay you know not that i think like my brother is like raising his sons to be monsters or anything but it's just like it's good to hear that yeah and it's good to hear that directed at a little boy because it really is like all about because i work at a preschool part-time and i'm like thinking a lot about like the messages that we are kind of like subconsciously giving to children when they're young Mm -hmm. and really trying to be very like self-conscious about like not kind of like reinforcing old ideas right because they're fresh and have all this hope and will save us from ourselves yeah i mean there's so much that goes into the nurturing of a kid i mean the way they're raised the the stuff they see in movies Mm -hmm. here it's so even it's a wonderful life which is like a classic american movie Mm -hmm. i watched it over the christmas and it's really messed up like he kind of grabs mary Mm. james jimmy stewart grabs Mm -hmm. her and it's it's almost like he's assaulting her right you know and her big hope is to just have a house with kids and not that there's anything wrong with that but you know it's this stuff goes into the the nurturing of kids Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i think society is changing really rapidly these days yeah thanks to the internet yeah and sjw yeah like myself you're <laughs> welcome america no i don't know i feel like it's all like it's also like it's changing but it's not there's just like such a strong resistance to progress mm-hmm. i don't know if you've noticed yeah people don't like change no it's scary yeah it is and i feel like just to wrap this up there's kind of a you're in kind of a dichotomy because you want to change the world and you want to uh make your impact on it but then you're also practicing buddhists to kind of be zen about the things Mm -hmm. and that's my problem with buddhism too is like well i want to be in and of the world Mm -hmm. where buddhism is kind of just like being in the world but not of it like the world just kind of washes over you and you are serene all about it Mm. i guess that's one way of looking at it that's not like how i view it Mm -hmm. exactly but I like my view of Buddhism is like more active, I mm-hmm. guess, than like not being like ruffled so much by things. Like like we strive for like an absolute happiness, which is um like no matter what hits you, like your resolve is strong and like you can stand up to it and you can like forge on. Um, versus like relative happiness, which is like a good thing happens and I'm happy and then a bad thing happens and I'm sad. Right. You know, so it's just like that, like kind of like that, like inner resolve to like be able to like, just, like, handle whatever hits you and to like be joyous while you fight through it. I guess an example would be, OK, so say you're on the subway mm-hmm. and there's someone just being like, 
hey, get out of my way. I'm moving here. Mm -hmm. Now, the Buddhist approach would be like, just be Zen about it Mm -hmm. and don't say anything. And just let that frustration wash over you. Mm -hmm. And then another action would be like, hey, shut up and sit down. You're disturbing everybody. Right. So which one do you do? I feel like in that instance, it would be like to just let them be and to just let them have their space because Mm -hmm. he's being like loud and disruptive, but he's not actually hurting anybody versus like if he actually was like threatening harm to somebody, then like that would be a moment to kind of like stand up and say something. Right. Yeah. All my, all my, uh, all my examples of frustration take place in the subway. Yeah, I mean, that's where most of my examples of frustration happen <laughs> as well. I mean, also, not to act like I'm like some, you know, Buddha belly person. Like, I screamed at an MTA person from across the platform last night. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just like screamed at him. And he was not the person who was the reason for my frustration. He was just the guy sweeping up the platform. Oh, no. But he was representing the MTA. Right. And I just was very angry. You, so, you ever just scream your chance at someone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the karma's going to hit me later. <laughs> I'm going to step in dog shit on the way home. <laughs> I feel like we solved nothing today excellent but, <laughs> but we there there is a lot of food for thought i feel closer to you now that's true we so solved that yeah. yeah and i'm no longer scared of you good that's good <laughs> uh thanks a lot for talking to us thank you so much Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.